0: Let's continue worship with a reading from Matthew five, thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Uh, Please say hello to someone as you have a seat. Middle schoolers, you can go to your class. There we go. Hey guys. Thanks, Mike. Good morning. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, we told you that the associate pastor that we hired the week before suffered a heart attack on Thursday, that following week, and the joke was it only took one week of working with me to give him a heart attack. Uh, we, it's okay. He's fine. He thought that joke was real funny, okay? Um, we have an update on Clint. Uh, we have a meal train Now, this is the only picture I could find of him because we haven't taken a headshot for his... And this is, this is his Facebook profile. I'm not lying. Um, so you can't see the text, but it says, let's make them, beg, make them beg us to stop. Let's bless their socks off. This QR code is for a meal train. So if you haven't already, it should be on our app as well. Dude, sign up. Let's bless their socks off, seriously. Uh, they, they have, uh, they're here. We, we have a message from Clint. Go ahead. Crazy loon planning to come next week. What is he thinking? Um <laughs> It started as quadruple bypass open heart surgery. That's what they said was required. It went then to triple bypass open heart surgery. And then they said, you know what? We don't have to split your stern open or to get in there. What's it, stern? What is that? It's not the right word. Sternum, thank you, medical people. And, and they were able to do non-obtrusive surgery, and so he's recovering much quicker. So it's good stuff. It's good stuff, yeah. Um, all right, let's do this. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew 5:13. Hold that place. Let me just get us started today. There are different emphases, you might call them, different giftings, callings, passions uh, within the church community that you'll find if you hang out over a certain amount of time. Uh, These passions, these giftings, these callings, uh, certain individuals feel very strongly about. And and sometimes what can happen within church communities, you have these certain people with certain emphases Certain passions and callings, and these callings almost get opposed to one another. You have this one person that greatly emphasizes one thing in the church and maybe at the expense of the other. And sometimes these things get pitted against each other. Let me give you an example. It becomes super divisive in churches. Uh, for example, someone will say, Y'all, I got saved, and it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit. You gotta have the Holy Spirit. You gotta experience the Holy Spirit. It's all about worship and intimacy and God's presence. Then you just need to experience his presence. It's experiential. And we and and some of us look at him and say, bro, you're crazy. You've been drinking that crazy-matic experiential nonsense stuff. No, we don't. The church doesn't need that. The church needs biblical doctrine. That's the problem with the church. The church needs to use its daggum brain. We need to intellectually dissect the Bible. We need to use our brains. We need to get the first century history, biblical theology. That should be the focus of the church. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then someone else will say, no, 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 no. It's all about missions. And evangelism, and if you're not called to the mission field, well, I doubt you're a Christian, right? That should be the focus of the church. And then, and then someone else is like, no, 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 it's all about discipleship. You guys, you guys get all these people in. Who's taking care of these people? You get all these people in here, no one's discipling. It's all about the right? And, you, and so you got, okay, are we chatting here? Yeah, this is real, okay? Someone's going to say, y'all, it's all about the gospel. Gospel-centered. Everything's got to be the gospel, right? No one says no. It's about the kingdom, right? And on and on and on and on and on. I can go for the whole entire 45 hour, 15. Who knows how long it's going to be about the divisiveness of Christians when they get locked into something dear to their heart, dude. It's because they got saved, and this this thing impacted them hugely. And so they say everybody needs to experience this, right? And this is basically the development of denomina- the proliferation of denominations. Someone says it's all about this, and you don't think it's about that. Well, I'm going to start my own thing where we really care about community or where we really care about whatever the Bible. And then guess what happens? I have these beautiful gifts that God's given the church, right? They're gifts, y'all. Guess what happens? They start, we have these groups, we cluster, you know, according to our affinities and our emphasis, and then we start hating one another. I know you're like, Chris, we're Christians. We don't do that. I know. It's hard to believe, Some of us have resentment with other people in this room because they have an emphasis that we don't understand or get. Huh? Okay. Let me be honest. Let me be honest. It's blatant immaturity, y'all. It's immaturity, and I'm calling it out. We are often so insecure about the things that we feel are important, that we demand that everyone else be just as passionate as us about our emphasis, and if not, well, they're probably not even Christians. That's literally how people deal with it, and you know it. That's how short-sighted we are, y'all. The reality is God has given you an emphasis, a vision, a calling, right, so that you serve the church in a way, listen to the language, that steadies the rudder of the church towards Jesus. The different emphasis, you see, evangelism or prayer or healing or biblical study, all of those, y'all, gifts of God given to the church to balance each other out. Balance each other out. In fact, this is exactly what Ephesians 4 says. He says he calls, these, he calls these gifts, people. He calls people gifts, given. He gave, you're right, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to what? Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Not the tearing down. Not the divisiveness, right? Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Get it? to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way Into him who is the head, into Christ. He's pleading for unity, y'all. It's right there. Unity amongst gifts, amongst emphasis. These emphasis, y'all, were never meant to be opposed to one another at all, but rather more like puzzle pieces that work together to make a full picture, or as the biblical language, a full body, parts of a body. I'm telling you how to not judge the church. You listening to me? (laughs) okay you listening? this is how you can get by in your life without sitting on the superior hill of your emphasis looking your nose down at everyone else in the church that doesn't have the same emphasis as you and it happens all the time the picture in the bible is a body which we think well that's wonderful yes let's all be a body until we get in small group and that guy shows up he won't shut up about people getting healed. Gosh, shut up, man. Okay, we all believe it. Why do we got to pray for it, right? Or the person that comes up, the person who comes in who's always talking about, y'all, about solitude. You got to get alone with God, man. You got to spend time with God. It all comes back to solitude. And you're like, okay, it's like 50 times you've told us that. We get it, right? Or the guy that comes in who's legalistic, right? And he thinks, he thinks no one should watch TV. And he looks down his nose because we don't we watch TV. And he says, we, don't, we shouldn't watch TV. And he, he's the guy that's like, well, actually, the Bible always says. You know, that guy walks in, right? And we think, great, small groups ruined, right? Listen, my friend, that's a really, really arrogant attitude. And underneath that emphasis of small groups ruined because someone else came in, that I, what's really underneath that is what we really mean is if I can just get people like me who think like me, who have the same priorities as me, who, who like the same passage of scriptures as me, then I'd be happy because we tend to think the community's about us and it serves me and how I feel and not how can I serve them and how can I listen and learn from them. And second, people tend to see diversity as a threat, not an extremely important, crucial facet that has been designed by God in the church to keep you balanced. Just like marriage, Right? balances you out, right? In other words, you need the church, and the church needs you to keep us tethered to scripture and the mission of God holistically for the long haul, because you will go through seasons of life where you need to hear dude man's emphasis, and you need to lose yourself in intimacy with God and worship with God. You need to lose yourself in the experience of God, and you will go through seasons of life where you need to get serious about studying the word, and you will go through seasons of life where you need to get serious about believing that God loves you and can heal you. You need the church, y'all. You need that weirdo coming to small group always saying, we should pray for people. You need that guy. And he needs you. Beautiful picture of the church, y'all. So it, I'm about to pre- present an emphasis to you. That was all just like warm up, all right? All right God, this is gonna go an hour and 15. No, it's not a problem. I'm about to present an emphasis to you. And every time I do, I want to do it in a way that calls everybody in and acknowledges that for some of us, this is going to challenge us really hard because it's not our emphasis. And it's supposed to challenge you because you're just like me. You're imbalanced, all right? You have passions and things in scripture that you love and you have things that you don't care so much for, right? And how you deal with that and how you deal, guys, with these people with different emphases, it tells a lot about you. Not so much about the emphasis or the virtue or the, the merit of the emphasis. It tells more about you, okay? We are all imbalanced in and of ourselves, every single one of us. And you need people to come around you and say, yes, yes, the Bible does say that. But it also says this. And then you have to have the humility to say, yeah, I completely forgot about that. I forgot that that was the thing. I just wasn't even on my radar. And when we clothe ourselves in humility like First Peter 5 tells us to, y'all, the church actually works like it's supposed to work. And we mature. Iron sharpens iron. You shouldn't think that's a happy little thing. Y'all know, it's conflict, man. It's debate. It's working through it together. And if we can't do that, then we're going to stay little baby Christians. Too fragile to hear people with different emphasis. And we're just going to create a little echo chamber where everyone agrees with us. And that sounds gross, doesn't it? Like social media. (laughs) So let's dig in to one tension. Didn't think you'd hear that. Uh, Let's dig in to one tension, one emphasis of the Christian walk. Here it is. There's been a rise. I'm setting it up even more. Here we go. We'll finally get to the point. There's been a rise. And um, the popularity of uh, spiritual practices. Are you guys kind of, you guys in this wave here? Like spiritual practice is like a thing now, you know? Uh, like the words like Lectio Divina and spiritual formation and listening prayer and spiritual directors. These are all new things that I've not really heard of until the past, I don't know, 20 years or so. And it's so good, man, especially if you're an introvert, right? Introverts love that kind of stuff. Like, you know, i I need to do to be a Christian is just get alone in a room, go see a counselor. We're like, cool, I can do that, right? And this has been, this emphasis on internal transformation has been especially popular among people who grew up charismatic and a little cynical because in some cases the extreme emotional immaturity of people who were claiming God in great grand ways but then their character was sloppy and so they said this is not right or they've seen an overemphasis on altar calls and evangelism and number of decisions and as in a desire to counterbalance the imbalance that they think they see in the church they say guys it's not just about salvation. It's not just about uh, you know, charismatic experiences. Your character matters, and they're right. <laughs> Your habits matter. You need to spend time with God. You need to look inward. You need to be still. You need to deal with your dysfunction. Y'all, and they're right. It's so true. You do. I mean, for so many Christians, that's exactly what you need to hear today. That's your sermon. There it is. Deal with your dysfunction, right? You need to stop talking. You start listening. You need to realize that habits matter. The character is forged, not given. There it is. That discipleship is a process. Y'all, this is an emphasis on discipleship, and it's beautiful. But what happens is the pendulum swings. And we end up having a faith with practices and habits and norms that are all about us. So you want to be obedient? All right, well, you got to dive into your emotional health. You better go get a counselor right now. You need inner healing. Yes and amen. Guess what the answer to you want to be obedient was in the 70s? Go tell someone about Jesus. It's shifted, y'all. The emphasis has shifted. Now it's dive into your emotional health. Go to counseling. Be spiritually, emotionally healthy, right? It's great, but it inadvertently can create a whole drift that makes, that frames the entirety of our Christian faith about your peace, your holiness, your experience. Again, so good, needed. Don't hear me. Don't hear me wrong. I've benefited so much from this emphasis personally. Like, I need peace. I do. I need peace. I need understanding. I need my habits to be transformed. I need stillness. I need meditation. It's beautiful. It's right. It's gorgeous. We all should get into it. God wants to transform you holistically. It's not Christian, but listen Christianity is not less than that, but it is more than that. It includes complete emotional, spiritual transformation of the whole person, but it is so much larger. Like way larger. It includes that, but it's not contained to that, right? It's larger. Your transformation, guys, is a big deal, but it's not the whole story. If that's it, if that's, all there, if that's all you think faith is, then you have an incomplete picture. You are forgetting or neglecting things Jesus said that seem to point to the fact that you are supposed to have a powerful impact on those around you in his name. Like when he calls us the light of the world. Dude, you need to be transformed. Character matters deeply. Your habits matter deeply. But it's not just for you, sir. <laughs> right? Your, listen, here's the deal. This is what i got to convince you today. In our day, we have become, uh, you guys ever heard the phrase um, expressive individualism? It's an ideology. Like, like, you can Google and read about it. Can, dissertations written about it. Books written about it. Um... It has created a society in which we are so isolated, so convinced of our self-sufficiency and self-dependence that we honestly believe nonsense like this. My sin, my dysfunction, my my unhealthy choices only affects me and no one else. We actually believe that nonsense. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? That's totally true. I can do whatever the heck I want to do with my life. It doesn't affect anyone else. It's me. It's my life. I can do whatever I want with my life. Or... Conversely, we believe things like my healthy choices, my obedient, my discipline only affects me and no one else. Look at me. No one, no one, no one lives in a vacuum. Your sins and your right doings matter deeply, not just for you, not just to God, but for everyone around you as well. i got to convince you of that today, all right? So here we go. Matthew 5. Jesus is saying... We're gonna read it, but he's saying that the deep, deep, deep transformation that he's doing in your heart has a purpose to go beyond your own personal enjoyment, but rather spills out onto others, and he seems to think it's impossible for it not to. All right, let's read it together. In other words, wait, 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 before we do that. In other words, it's impossible for the work of God to only be a hidden internal thing. Impossible. Got it? Okay, let's read. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how shall it be salt? How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. said to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Jesus, wait, I thought you yeah, I thought you were the light of the world. <laughs> Apparently, he is so confident in his ability to transform you. He's willing to call you the light of the world. As if, when we follow him, we become little extensions of his light. Later, the New Testament writers would pick up on this and see such a unity between Jesus and his followers that they would call the church the body of Christ, his physical presence on the earth. So if you claim to follow Jesus, he calls you the light of the world. You're supposed to be like light. He goes on. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The Word of the Lord. First, let me, let's look At just the common sense type way Jesus is talking, it is so simple a child can understand it. Have you ever come around a corner and seen a city placed perfectly, triumphantly on top of a hill? Jerusalem's on a hill. This is Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It's one of the reasons it was such a desirable spot in the ancient world. Ancient cities always wanted high ground for defensive purposes. In antiquity, travelers would come around a turn and see the city on a hill. And this is in Italy. And no, safety is at hand. Right? But the point here is that Jesus says, y'all, it's impossible to hide a city. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's impossible. In other words, my work in you is not just some spiritual, emotional, eternal, internal work that happens in the unseen places of your life, but it rather is a work that is impossible to hide, like a city on a hill. Then, he uses a lamp. And everyone, even a child, knows what a lamp is for. It's clear, it's obvious. It's common sense. Why do you buy a lamp? Because you want to be able to see, right? Oh, there it is. Whoa, whoa, sorry. Now I flashed you, didn't I? Sorry, now you're up. There we go. Okay, sorry. You've been you've been flashed by a pastor. Okay, here we go. Um, what's the I should not have a microphone. What's the purpose of a flashlight? To be able to see. It is absolutely absurd to go buy something <laughs> to go buy something like this and put it under a basket. That's ridiculous, Jesus says. That's dumb. You, no one would do that. A kid knows what a lamp is for. You don't buy it and put it under a basket. You don't buy it and throw it on the ground. He says you buy it to put it in a stand so it gives light to everyone. Okay, we're done with the flashlight here. Just one more, okay, all right. It's from Costco. You can get that, all right? <laughs> in other words, y'all, what, what's the work of God supposed to do for you and for others? No one buys a lamp and put it, puts it under a barrel. It's absurd. You've, if you do that, you've sabotaged the entire purpose of the lamp, of the flashlight. Jesus says, no, you exalt a lamp. You lift it up, right? You put it in a high place on a stand. Why? So everyone can enjoy the light it gives, in other words, a bulk of what God wants to do in your life is not for your sake. It's for the sake of your family. It's for the sake of your friends. It's for the sake of your coworkers. Why did God save you? Why is he working in your life right now like some of you actually believe he is? Why is he dealing with your lust and your anger and your unforgiveness? Why is God dealing with your lack of self-discipline? Why is he transforming you at all? Through the disciplines, right? It's because, number one, he loves you more than you will ever hope or imagine, yes. But number two, he has a purpose for you. He wants to lift, listen, God wants to lift you up out of the mire and the muck and place your foot on a rock. He wants to break the chains of sin and shame and guilt off of your heart so that you are light and salt in the earth. Like to evangelize, to reach the lost, to reach those, and to give a care about anyone else than yourself. Jesus is saving you not for your own sake, friend. You've been blessed, yes and amen, to be a blessing. You are not the Dead Sea. And when you take all of his blessings onto yourself, when you clutch it to yourself, you become crusty and stale, a place of death, not a place of life. The intention of God is to bless you so you become a blessing to others. Jesus, guys, is trying to frame What he is getting after in transforming your life. It has a purpose. It's full of joy. It's full of meaning. And it is so much bigger than you, bless his name. And if you commit yourself to this internal transformation but never share the light source with others, you have become the definition of selfish with your faith. And in some ways, you've sabotaged one of the main reasons God is transforming you in the first place. Be salt and light to those around you. So what's salt? Man, you guys put too much of it on your food. I'll tell you that right now, right? What's salt? I love salt. Not a big sweet tooth guy, but oh, I'll just pour the salt on there, right? Dude, amen. Salt preserves life. It preserves food, guys. It staves off rot and death. It draws out the good flavor. Y'all, salt amplifies the good stuff that's there. You ever had popcorn without salt? No, because it's gross, right? Yeah. Same question. You ever had cardboard without salt? No, right? It's disgusting. You ever had eggs without salt? No, it's not worth eating, right? Think about it. You, I mean, you got to eat. It sustains you. You got no choice. You got to eat. But dude, make it worth eating. Put some salt on that sucker, right? Think about it, y'all. You got, like, let's give you a big old pot of popcorn. I'm like, you got to eat this. No salt. You're like, oh, God. You know? But then I'm like, you know what? Never mind. Five tablespoons right here. All right? Throw it on there. What, what just happened? What just happened? Here. I just changed duty to delight. I took something that you said, ah. And now when you look at that same thing, you think, oh, ho, ho, ho. yes, yes, I like you. I like this. This is good. Right? We have a phrase for this. We, we, when you meet someone who brings joy into the room, any room, board room, work room, dish duty room, baby changing room, they bring joy. You know what we call them? We call them the salt of the earth. They refresh you. They call out the good in you. They preserve the good. They bring life, not death, right? And you want to be around someone like that, right? We say of that person, they're like salt. Jesus says, that's my person. That's how my people are. You got to work. You got to feed the kids, man. You got to do the dishes. You got to deal with family. Okay, put some salt on it, man. Make it enjoyable for those and those around you, right? Jesus says, the work I do in people flavors all the duty of life turns it from duty to delight. It brings out the joy, man. Y'all, listen, here we go. It's not just dishes. It's worship. It's not just changing a diaper, man. It's worship. It's not just parenting your kids, trying to keep your sanity, losing your minds. Y'all, put some salt on that junk, right? Bring some joy into the room. It's not just marriage. It's worship. Find the goodness. Put some salt on it. Are we chatting? Jesus says, my followers will find the goodness of myself in every situation, and they will improve it. They'll bring joy to it. Be like salt. Bring out the goodness, man. Bring out the delight that's there that we're all distracted to. We can't see it because we're bogged down with our sorrows and shame and our guilt. He says, bring joy into the room, y'all you got to go to work this week. Bring some joy into that joint. you got to go to the board meeting. Bring some joy. Bring some pleasure. Bring some delight. Because this is what the people of God always do. When we follow Jesus, this is what we always do. Because we've, we've become convinced at the fundamental level that this whole show is not about me. It's about the goodness of God. And when I'm not the main character, when I'm only a supporting what frees me up to not have to take the credit anymore... And I can begin to be a person of delight and joy who brings God himself into the room. Y'all, and all of this happens in a way that Jesus says cannot be hidden. It's clear, it's obvious. It's not just some internal thing happening you. It spills out over into relationship, into marriage, into school, into work. He says, it's like a city on a hill. It's impossible to hide. Is God working in your life? In any way that you could say it's impossible to hide this? is the work of God in your life something that you clutch to your chest, you bring it close, and you hold it because you're not sure if anything else is going to happen? He says it's like a city on a hill, and it draws people in from miles around. Y'all, this is the kind of freedom that we enjoy as children of God. This is the kind of joy that you've been invited into, joy that bubbles up out of the depths of you and comes out in every circumstance, every situation, Become salt, become light. Right, because in the depths of our heart we know that every good, perfect gift comes from our Father of Lights, down from heaven, as James one says. And only when that's clear to us in our minds, y'all, only when we know that everything good comes from God, do we stand a chance at becoming salt and light in the earth. Right? Can we rejoice in the fact that it's His good works working in us, bringing glory to the Father? That's what He says. He says they're going to see your works and they're going to bring glory to God. Now, some of us have big problems with that. Right? Wait. Okay. So I'm going to be doing the work. I'm going to be sweat you know, blood and tears, and then God's gonna get the credit? Some of us, that's a full stop right there. We're just like, no, I'm not into this. No, I get credit for what I do. That's the whole point. That's why you gotta understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God. It, listen, right here, look at me. If you can't do something and let someone else get the credit, then you will never be salt and light in the earth. Because Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in the heaven. Jesus says the whole of your good work in life all of it, all of it. Think of all the work Christians have done in the earth, building medical facilities, reaching out to all, sacrificing life, sacrificing family, sacrificing possessions, moving across the world to evangelize the lost. He says all that work people are gonna see and they're not, you're not gonna get credit for. And dude, I'll tell you something, man. Something deep in my heart says that's the kind of life I wanna live because it frees me up from always needing to get praised. It frees me up from the insecurity that I need every, every time you do something good. Do you see that? You guys see? did the dishes, babe. I don't know if you noticed. I vacuumed, too, right? All right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Freeze you up from all that stuff, man. When you understand God is the giver of every good, or frees you up from that, you just begin to enjoy life on a whole new level. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. All the work we do, God gets the credit for it, and that's how grace works. Now, a lot of people are like, well, I'm out if I don't get the credit, but here's the thing about this. It works both ways, okay? It works both ways, and this is what I mean. Now, here is this. What I'm about to say is uh, this is only for Christians. If you're a Christian, this is for you. If you're not a Christian, breathe a sigh of relief. You're off the hook. But if you claim to follow Jesus, it is not just your good works that matters uh, to God and to others, but your bad works matter too. You do not obey in a vacuum, and you do not disobey in a vacuum. Jesus says obedience to good works impact those around you, and it brings glory to God. Disobedience does the same thing bad works do the exact opposite you bring dishonor to the name of god if you call, when you call yourself a christian and live a sloppy lazy sinful hypocritical life romans 2:24 says the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you it works both ways your good works will bring glory to the father and your bad works will bring shame That Romans 2.24, he's talking about not practicing what you preach. He's saying when we talk a big game and don't back it up with our lives, when we think uh, it's my own deal, my own life, or when we think everyone's a hypocrite, so am I, no big deal, he's saying your disobedience is slandering the name of God among those who don't believe. It means you're misrepresenting God. Your disobedience matters not just for you but for those around you. It means Blaspheme means you're showing God to be less than he really is. He's holy, he's wonderful, he's beautiful. When, you, when we walk in disobedience, we, we say with our lives, he's not holy, he's not wonderful, he's not beautiful. And you're telling other people that. By the way you live, your obedience matters and your disobedience matters. You're not alive in a vacuum, other people exist. All right, so it works both ways. And, here, and this is what I gotta end with right here, okay? Oh, we're slow, getting to an ending, almost. <laughs> Turning a corner. Um, you cannot, some of you are like, I don't know if I buy this. You cannot isolate yourself enough to make this not true. It's impossible. You have family, as strange as they may be, who are impacted by your health or your dysfunction. You have a community around you, as isolated as you think you may be, who is impacted, for good or for ill, by your inner decisions that no one even sees you are either reflecting the goodness and love and grace of God by showing him to be holy and worthy and beautiful and satisfying and thus becoming salt and light to those around you, making life taste sweet, or you're revealing to others, God really isn't all that great. He's not really the source of every good and perfect gift. Even, y'all, in the unseen places of your life with unseen thoughts and unseen sins, it eventually bleeds out. Don't fool yourself. Right? Your decisions matter even when no one is looking. Here, I'll give you the last image. We're gonna wrap it up. Last image. You're leaving awake. You're leaving awake. Your life is leaving awake. I don't care how young you are, I don't care how much you've isolated yourself. You are leaving awake. You may think, no one cares, no one sees, I'm doing my own thing. No one's looking at me. It doesn't affect anyone. It's a lie, y'all. Your life matters. It matters to God. It matters to others, whether you believe it or not. The pe- other, or you can just say it this way. This is in one book I read, and the guy, the whole chapter is titled this. He said, I just realized this. It was blew my mind. <laughs> other people exist. <laughs> right? And your life is leaving a wake that will eventually find another person. It is the inevitable, inevitable reality of being human. Your life affects others. The question is, what is your wake pushing others towards? What is your wake pushing others towards? Jesus is framing, y'all, what he's getting after with this whole thing of transformation. It's not just for you. It's to be a light to others. Because our society has believed, hook, line, and sinker, that our lives are our own and that what we do with them is our own business and no one else, I have to spend most of my time trying to show you that your life actually affects other people. I have to try to prove you are leaving awake. See, most modern people are so selfish, they think, well, maybe I'm leaving awake, but I doubt it, and if I am, I'm like a little jet ski, right? Hardly anything, and I'm not really affecting anyone. It's not true, especially those closest to you. Those closest to you, your life is like a daggum big freightliner pushing them to and fro with the decisions you're making either towards or away from God. But because of this ideology of expressive individualism that most people today think, my life's my own. It doesn't affect anyone else. I live in a vacuum. I just have to spend most of my time saying, it's not true. You don't live in a vacuum. You're leaving a wake, right? And, and then you got these other people that are like, I know I'm leaving a wake. I want my wake to be all about me. I want people to be on the inside of my wake. So I'm pulling them towards me, right? I want, I want to gain influence and power, right? I want, I want people to follow me. They want personal power, right? And you know what Jesus says to people like that? <laughs> he says, you need to, he basically sends them to the room. He's like, go in your room and pray. If, you, if you're trying to assert your influence and power and authority over people by your good acts, you wanna, you wanna be, I'm the Lord of the world, and you wanna preach on the corners and pray on the corners, Jesus said, no, 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 go to your room and pray. All right? You think your acts are all about you. They're not. you got it inverted. You've inverted the whole thing. You've made it about your glory. It's about the Father's glory. Go to your room. <laughs> and then other people, other people, y'all, listen, we're, we're wrapping it up, all right? Just by virtue, of the fact that they're following Jesus with all of their hearts. They're they're like, their lives become, they're just walking, they're not even trying to influence other people, all right? They're going in a direction. They've seen the cross. They've seen the glory. They're going in with all their heart. By that mere fact, their life becomes this huge, big freighter line, you know, thing, right there, I'm talking about. It catalyzes the move of God in other people's lives. That's what I want to do. You're leaving a wake whether you want to or not. What is your wake pushing people towards? You're pushing people towards yourself, pushing people to some, towards other things, right? The push I want that my life the push I want my life to have on people is towards God. And you know when you get around people like that, you know what happens? They get under you and they they pick you up just like a just like a wave. Just like a wake. And all of a sudden, everyone around you, they're, they're feeling them hearts being lifted up towards the Father. That's what we do when we decide to walk in humility and obedience towards God. When we set our sight on Jesus and say, I'm going this way. You can follow if you want. But on following Jesus, our lives begin to leave a wake. And it's a wake that's bigger than ourselves. I will end, end, end right now for real with this picture that David has. I got to stop saying it because if I just not say it, it'll be better. Um, this is a very fascinating thing that we'll get out of here. Very fascinating. David Price just went to Paris. He went to the Louvre, you know, the art museum. And the art, uh, he was telling me, this art guy was telling him the history of art as they're walking around this art museum. It was so fascinating. He said, you know, art started, the big, the big kind of push, uh, it was the Greek, Greco-Roman art, with a, where they were making art. What were, what were they making art of? What were the statues of in the Greco-Roman era? The gods, right? Uh, I can't think of any of their names. God, what's some of their names? I don't know. Zeus. There you go, Zeus, yeah, all, all of the art that, they were, that civilizations were creating in these big ways was, was um, towards the gods, towards divinity. And then Christianity came along. And so the guy takes him over to the Christian section. And he says, and you know what art became? About Jesus and the disciples and the last dinner. And, that, and the art, you can see this fascinating shift of all of the art that humanity was creating. And then the Enlightenment came. Do you know what art shifted to after the Enlightenment? Think about like 18th, 16th, you know, 17th century art. Um, It became about the state. Art reflected Napoleon. It was art about the state. In other words, the state became a substitute of God. And they worshiped the state. The state replaced God. It became nationalistic art. And then he took them to another section about modern art. Do you know what art is about today? Do you know what has replaced worship of state? Expressive individualism. Do you know what art is about now? Us. We make art about us. Art, we you understand art, y'all, as a way to express what? Yourself. And that's a definition of art that's been handed to you by our society. We now we worship self and we make art that reflects expressing ourselves, we make art about what captivates us. And I'd like to submit you that the church is basically to its shame played along with society in this way. And then if we are ever to let our light shine again, we have to dethrone self and enthrone God to his rightful place. We have to be more captivated with God than we are with ourselves. And then our lives become a creative play, not on self-expression, but on the expression of God. Then our, you hear you know what I just said? Our life becomes a creative expression, not of who you are, but of who God is. And man, if that doesn't light your fire, if you don't want to sign up for that, man, I don't know what what you'd want to sign up for. To be in a creative expression of the goodness and glory of God instead of just a creative expression of yourself, it sounds like salvation to me. So my plea with you today is make your life about something other than yourself. Be a light To others. Be salt, y'all. Be about something lasting, something eternal, something bigger. Leave awake. You're already leaving awake. Just leave one that matters. God longs to transform you. Yes, and part of that plan is transforming you so that you become part of the rescue plan of God in the earth. Let's pray.